Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are currently working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is G, and G is for gender and all things non-binary. A person's gender identity is their internal sense of themselves as male, female, or another gender. Cisgender people are those whose gender identity is the same as the sex they were assigned at birth. Transgender people are those whose gender identity is different from their assigned sex at birth. Gender identity is different from gender role or gender expression. Gender identity refers to how people understand themselves. Gender expression, how they portray themselves. And gender role is the collection of behaviors and activities that society expects to be associated with a particular gender in this place and time. The notion that men and women are fundamentally different and should behave in specific ways is sometimes referred to as gender essentialism. Gender is also different from sex and sexual orientation. Sex refers to a person's biology, chromosomal, hormonal, and anatomical. Sexual orientation refers to a person's romantic and sexual interest in other people. People of any sex can have any gender identity and any sexual orientation. The concepts are independent. And finally, a person is non-binary if their gender identity is something other than male or female. Non-binary individuals may identify as gender fluid, agender, which is without gender, off the binary, or something else entirely. Sometimes non-binary people are included in the broad category of transgender people. This represents an evolution as historically being transgender was often conceptualized as requiring a movement between binary genders. The notion that transgender people have to be moving towards male or female genders has been both particularly strong and particularly problematic in the medical community. Now, we'll have a lot more to say about this, but that was just my little summary. Joining me today is Dr. Meg John Barker. They are the author of Rewriting the Rules and a number of other self-help books on love, sex, and gender, as well as queer, a graphic history, and many other comic books and zines. They present the Meg John and Justin podcast with Justin Hancock. They also work as a writing mentor and creative consultant, provide talks and workshops, and give interviews and advice for the media. They've written scholarly books, chapters, and articles, as well as ones geared towards ordinary people. Hey, good to be here, Laurie. Thank you. So let's start with, I mean, that was kind of the best thing I could cobble together, and I still don't like it because it, it, I don't like the section on non-binary at all. All right. Okay. Because it kind of seems to locate non-binary as only relating to gender. So that's my issue with it. Otherwise, it seemed okay. Oh, yeah. So like a lot of things. Well, this is interesting because the book I've just uh, got coming out this summer with my colleague, Alex Taffy is called Life Isn't Binary. And that is a book where we're arguing that thinking about this idea of non-binary um, across lots of things as well as gender can be a really good way to go. And in fact, we can learn quite a lot from um, the way that non-binary gender works when we apply it to other things like relationships or like um, sexuality or like our relationship to our bodies as well. So, yeah. So that's something that I really like that concept because I would I would say that as far as gender is concerned, I've mm. always identified as female. Yeah. More or less female depending. Yeah. So that isn't, even that's not binary because there have been times where, and I, I can hear my significant, one of my significant others laughing mm-hmm. his ass off when I say this, that I thought that I was butch. And so that's considered very funny because everybody who knows me says that I've never really ever been butch. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, but I was told that um, if you are not small and skinny, yeah, you can't be feminine. Right. 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 Yeah. So I think nearly everyone who's um, even comfortable in the categories of man and woman still has that sense of, you know, are they man enough? Are they woman enough? Are they completely masculine or completely feminine? I tend to start any workshop I do on this with like getting the stereotypes of masculinity and femininity up on the board. And then I get people to kind of like draw a spectrum between you know, kind of uh, rough and gentle or rational and emotional or all these other things that we kind of mean by masculine and feminine. And like, there's hardly anyone who's like entirely at one end or entirely at the other end of the spectrum. So I think it's really useful for everyone to think about gender as non-binary and and, and as a spectrum or a continuum um, or multiple, yeah, multiple dimensions, really. It's like this this big swirly-whirly kind of (laughs) tangle, you know? But I mean, what I like about that, of course, is that 
first of all, it makes it easier to become comfortable with yourself if you're not having to fit into a, a, a dichotomy yeah. and, and, and a binary. It's easier to find some place where you fit. Mm-hmm. And actually, interestingly, I would argue that um, a lot of the evidence suggests that people who try very hard to rigidly fit in the end of man or woman, you know, and really fit the stereotypes of masculinity and femininity in, a, in our particular culture, for example, um, that they have the worst rates of mental health problems. You know, mental health problems in women, a lot about women who feel that they really have to be for other people and completely defined by their roles as parents or their um, roles as wives or girlfriends or, or daughters. And like actually a lot of the women I think we see in therapy are really grappling with how to be for themselves. And um, it certainly relates to consent, which has been obviously yeah. a big issue with me too. And then same with guys, you know, the guys who seem to have the really serious mental health problems are the ones who try and hide their feelings and be tough. And we know what the suicide rates are like with guys. So, you know, often, often, you know, you're talking about trans and non-binary people with this focus on mental health. And I always try and flip it around and say, well, actually the mental health issues for cisgender people who are trying to rigidly fit, and that's not all cisgender people, but those who do really try and fit in the box of what they've learned is what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman often have really big problems. And that's not surprising to hear yeah. um, and, because I, I have this, this thing about, about anything that's black and white. You know, I mean, this yeah. is a topic I talk about all the time and talk about the fact that to me, one of the marks of reaching adulthood is the ability to sit with ambivalence and yes. understand that you can be both a little of this and a little of its opposite and that that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it really relates in the book we were talking about, it really relates to human suffering and human conflict. You know, yeah. conflict happens when we make it us and them and we polarize into two opposing and, you know, we debate and, and argue and even go to war like that. And human suffering is often, again, really about uh, binaries, you know, thinking this that either I'm wrong or I'm right, I'm good or I'm bad, you yeah. know. I'm, I'm a wonderful person or I'm a terrible person. I'm a victim or I'm a perpetrator. And, you know, as we know, life is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And, and, and that actually it doesn't help us to try to simplify in that way. Yeah. There are yeah. other ways it does help, but to try and simplify into black and white actually makes things worse rather yeah. than better. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's why Alex and I wrote the book. We were kind of like, okay, well, this needs to go a lot further than gender. And maybe as well, if we can recognize that binary thinking itself is the problem, yes. then we can come back to gender and say, well, here's another thing that's not binary. <laughs> well, and I actually really yeah. like that. And I think that, that, that the crusade to get people to understand that binary thinking is, is mm. problematic is, is sort of the first level of dealing with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know I sent you this article that I wrote that I found fascinating. Yeah. Um, that was, so I wrote this article because I was asked to write for this particular organization. And um, one of their things is that they're quite scientifically based. So the fact that I have um, the, my PhD and, and have done research and mm-hmm. was a positive. And so I wrote the article about... Um, non-binary by uh, non-binary sexuality because i because yeah. to me that's how i experience my sexuality um because to say i'm bisexual and to kind of put it like in a place in the middle like you're putting your flag down yeah it, it doesn't work for me no. um and they had real problems with that and they wanted me to take that out and to, to, to just limit non-binary to gender because quote that was the only place where there was research that this was the case and i said well i don't know clinically all the people i see Mm-hmm. Over the years, this is definitely the case, and we have trouble researching these things anyway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think we've known, you know, from the Kinsey reports onwards that sexuality is non-binary. Yeah, um, you know, most people are somewhere on the spectrum, and again, it's like even the spectrum it doesn't quite work because people aren't somewhere between attracted to men and attracted to women because some people are super attracted to both men and women, and some people aren't attracted much to either men and women, and then of course you throw non-binary gender people into the mix. And suddenly it's not a spectrum because what about people who are attracted to non-binary people? Right. And so where do you, like if I try to to describe who I'm attracted to, it becomes ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We worked on that in terms of, for example, when we talked about, do I want to, did I want to identify for pants as pansexual? And I Mm -hmm. said, no, because the people that I knew that identified as pansexual didn't have the attractions I did. Um, And so sitting with this and trying to figure out how do you explain your sexuality Mm-hmm. And, and deciding that actually there are there are more spectrums in there that have that have to be yeah. there in order yeah. to describe what it is that attracts me. Well, if mm-hmm. that's the case for me, it must be the case for others. 
Absolutely. It's like, what if you're attracted to like dominant butch women and queer people of all genders you know it's like there's there's just so many different dimensions that even the gender part of attraction we could break it down you know it might be to do with someone's body it might be to do with like you said their gender expression their gender identity and all these other aspects and that's even just a gender piece and then we throw all the other aspects of gen- of sexuality and like what extent our desire is or power or roles that we like and it's just way more complicated yeah it gets really complicated so we are um heading up towards our first break if you have questions please call in or email me, um, and we will do our best to answer them. Um, and before the break, just a little word about Naughty Narlings in July this year. This is the 24th to 28th of July this year. It's the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. There are over 1,300 couples at this event. It's a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels, and it takes over Bourbon Street, too. It's got a parade. It's got lots of parties. It's a lot of fun. It's got people of all sexualities and genders. If you want more information and you want to book your spot, do visit thesexylifestyle.com and go to the travel and events page. And there is all the information you need to book your place. I would do it soon um, and, and mark it as a holiday thing to do this summer. New Orleans is fun any time of year, but particularly during this takeover. So um, in the next segment, we're going to talk about further about gender and more about this idea that actually many of the aspects of our lives can be described as non-binary and that we really ought to be looking at thinking about things not in the black and white, but actually thinking about them, I would say, in the round mm. instead of a, a, a two-dimensional spectrum. And, and that would really make lives much more rich, but also much easier for most of us. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. How do you feel about a non-monogamous lifestyle? Does it sound enticing? Are you worried about what others might think? Your questions are answered on Sex Interrupted with Tara and James. It's a discussion about the swinger lifestyle, non-monogamy, sex, sexuality, and where it all fits in. All we ask is that you listen with an open heart and an open mind, and you will find your desires and fantasies can come true. Tune in to Sex Interrupted with Tara and James every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of Sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. This week it is G is for gender and all things non-binary and we're here with Dr. Meg John Barker. So we were talking before the break about how complex it gets when you're actually trying to describe sexuality and sexual attraction if you actually add in all the things you could add in yeah 
And so our but our people actually really making more of an effort to do this now so that we we have a, a, a better picture. Yeah, um, Sari Van Anders, the um, biologist, is one who's really like um, dug into this and has this theory now of sexuality across multiple dimensions. And um, me and Alex, my co-author, actually wrote a zine based on her theory to try and bring it to like ordinary people, as you called us at the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, if people want to check out my website, rewritingtherules.com, they can download that zine for free um, if they're interested in like what are all the different dimensions of sexuality. I also wrote a book called The Psychology of Sex that kind of covers the same territory as well but I think it's so important because why are we so focused on gender of attraction and why are we so focused on gender in general I suppose is, is a good question um, and, and so um, intent on these binaries and also on the fixedness of gender you know I think this is why trans people have so many difficulties and bisexual people and queer people as well is because we have this two box binary system for gender and sexuality and we can't handle anyone who doesn't fit in the two boxes or who, or who seems to move from one to the other over the course of their life. And that's a really interesting one for me. So one of the things that I've noticed is that, is that if, um, if you tell people of generations older than I am, so I'm, I'm going to be 56 on Saturday. So if you tell older people, nowadays, many of them have learned to accept the idea of homosexuality, and yeah. somehow that's okay. But if you say bisexual, mm-hmm. That becomes an issue, and it seems to be because they can kind of put all of the stereotypes from heterosexuality onto homosexuality yeah. and, and make a picture, Yeah, and that they can make sense of that, but they can't make sense of the idea of somebody liking both, mm. not liking either, moving back and forth over their life. Yeah, exactly. There's something about wanting to, again, put people in these fixed boxes and then you know where you are with people. And I think there's this sense that bisexuality or non-binary gender or trans people or people who move from gay to straight or or straight to gay over their lifetime, all of these somehow muddy the water. But it's just that that's, that's how it is. You know, gender and sexuality are fluid. More people change. You know, again, I always say, you know, people are kind of like, oh, gender fluid, this new thing. It's not, you know, it's like most people are gender fluid in the sense that the way they express and experience their gender and identify it changes radically over time, right? Your gender looks very different when you're a toddler to when you're a teenager to when you're a a married person, for example, if you get married and have kids, you know, to when you're an an older person. Absolutely. I mean, if you say, if you look at women just as a group, look at what happens around the time of menopause. Mm-hmm. And through the menopause and afterwards, and certain things change whether you want them to change or not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so at all periods of life, there are these big changes that affect our sexuality and our gender. And again, like recognizing that and then being able to move through them rather than insisting, you know, there's just this insistence on fixity, which is really strange. Like the idea that we should have sex the same amount of the same type all the way through our relationship of like 20 or 30 years is a nonsense. You know, so is, so is the idea that, you know, we should express our gender in the exact same way our entire adult life, you know? Well, don't you know we're supposed to live happily ever after, right? That's yeah, exactly. static piece. Yeah. I have such issues with that because right? there's no part of life that's static. And in no. fact, the more you try to make something static, the more you try to restrict change, the more yeah. problems you have. Well, this has always been my argument around relationships. You know, that's what the first thing I wrote about in terms of self-help is like mm. all these ideas we have about relationships that we meet the one perfect person, they should stay the same throughout time and make us happily ever after. It's, it puts a terrible pressure on relationships. That's actually why a lot of relationships end because nothing can meet that fantasy. And of course, people do change over time. That's, you know, just inevitable. And and yet we say you've changed as if that's some kind of terrible thing that a person Yeah, has that's done. an insult. Right? Yeah, exactly. You've changed. You're not the person yeah. I said. Well, like, yeah, I'm not. Like that's that's fantastic. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a really interesting person in front of you who you know is not boring because they have changed over time. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. I mean, to me, that there's nothing worse than somebody who would remain static. And and yeah. I mean, I want to be around people who grow, and and I want to grow and and change. And and sometimes you know you you do move in a direction that is unpleasant, and then you move back to a more pleasant direction. And yes, things are messy. But this whole idea that that we need a very succinct way of describing yeah. and understanding someone. And I, I do understand that that biologically we are wired to categorize. Yeah, there are good reasons for that. Mm-hmm. 
but this is ridiculous. Well, it's sort of the same as the research on sort of stress and trauma and things, right? It's like, oh, yeah, biologically, we're wired to fight or flight. You know, does the way we reacted to a, a you know, a lion on the savannah, you know, is that helpful when we're looking at a double-decker bus or when we're looking at um, a work deadline? Not so much. You know, it's like that's the that's the thing. And yeah, so we may well categorize into, you know, our people and their people, you know, based on some evolutionary tendency. But, um, you know, A, we can shift those things because we, we have neuroplasticity and you know, our brains can can um, alter over time. And, and, you know, B, that just doesn't work in the massively complex cultures and societies we inhabit today. But do you think that it actually ever did really work? I don't, and I'm not talking about like when we were, you know, all we were worried about was hunting and gathering. I'm talking about from the time that we started being worried about more. Do you think it actually ever was that simple? I don't well, no. think so. And also I'm really fascinated, like, you know, um, the, the, the sort of spirituality or faith that I follow and have done for 10, 20 years is Buddhism. Uh-huh. And if you look at Buddhism, like that's what it's saying from word go, you know, this is like thousands of years old now. It's like, don't be binary. It's non-dual. You know, we question the division between self and other um, and Buddhism's real takeaway message is suffering is rooted in trying to get the things we want and trying to get rid of the things we don't want. Yes, which is is duality. The the good, bad binary is the reason we suffer. If we we can embrace the uncertainty and impermanence of existence rather than trying to say these things are good and I want them and these things are bad and I don't, you know, then we're going to have a much better life because life does have suffering and death and impermanence in it. So, you know, it's better to to learn to roll with that stuff rather than, you know, trying to make it all good and not bad. Well, resilience works better. Um, You know, I mean, and and it it always has and it always will. And flexibility and fluidity yep. and yeah, fluidity. being able to see the full the full picture. But uh, but I I am concerned that we are not um, teaching people how to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In an even more complex world, that we're actually um, doing less and less to help people learn yeah. to be flexible, to be um, to to embrace change, to embrace movement. Mm-hmm. We don't teach patients anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's even more like, you know, get what you want and not what you don't. And I, mean, I think capitalism thrives on it to a certain, you know, that's how people sell products. It's like, it's good to be happy. It's bad to be sad. Buy this product. It will make you happy. As we right. go into the commercial break, I'm saying this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's where we're going to head. We're going to head to commercials. And that's what commercials do. They do tell us, they do promote things. Yeah. I mean, but it is really hard because I, I, I think that, um, that we don't, you know, when I was growing up, there were some built-in, and I say this over and over again, people are probably sick of hearing it, but there were some built-in things that made us learn to wait, mm. right? You, you, there was not this immediacy. It wasn't yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, so I do think we learn to tolerate ambivalence a lot more on the basis of mm. just the fact that technology was much less developed. Yeah, we don't have that quick fix to go to for distraction or for, you know, taking us away from the present. Or for, and you mean for learning, you know, the, yeah. the steps you had to go to to learn. There was no Google, you know, there were libraries and, and source material and yeah. you had to work your way through 10 books. You got nobody's summary. <laughs> Writing a report was never a matter of going and getting the summary of seven books and, re- and reading the summaries and then putting it all together. You had to go and actually research yeah. things and talk to people and then go, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not just in Google. I do like being able to just go. What's the difference between so bird and that bird? Or where do I where do I go to shop for this thing? Um, but yeah, I think you're right. The sort of delayed gratification, taking time, you know, all of that is helpful when it comes to you know. That's the, again, that's why Buddhism has built in meditation. You know, you right. learn to, you learn to be bored. You learn to be patient. You learn to sit with things rather than reacting straight away. Um, whereas, I guess in our world with the sort of sudden, you know, like, yeah, quick fix kind of um, mentality. It's easy to just react, 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 react all the time. And that, again, that's the root of suffering and conflict. And we don't, we don't teach that. I mean, I do think, you know, I, I love Google, don't get me wrong. And I love the, the ease at which I can create a presentation now, for example. Mm. But there's value in what I learned. Yeah. And I, there's been emotional value in my life and what I learned. There's also been value in the way I, I interact with others. So I learned not to react so quickly, which yeah. means that I could consider another viewpoint. You know, yeah. there's a lot of value in actually being able to take a breath. Yeah, huge value. And again, the, another um, binary is the mind-body split. And we don't really tune into our bodies. We just react from our heads straight away. 
Yeah. And I'm always fascinated by people divide themselves into these groups sometimes um, of, of whether they, they come from their head and they, they, they talk intellectually or they can come from their bodies or their feelings or whether their feelings are separate. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that people think it's, it's like, you know, we talk mind, body, spirit, like they're separate things. Yeah, exactly. They're all interwoven. Uh, completely. Um, so we are about to head for a break again. If you've got any questions, do please write in when we get back, we will, um, spend a little bit more time, I think, looking at, um, some of what's going on around gender these days, um, and, um, and look at it across the lifespan. Cause I think that would be really quite useful. And I think people don't have the greatest understanding of the concept of gender anyway, even, even with these divisions. Um, and, uh, so we will see you guys back in a short moment. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos, and keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive. So we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Parrish Michelle Blair, and Jet Setting Jasmine, with Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae. You won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, welcome back to segment three. This is G is for gender and all things non-binary. And we are speaking today with Dr. Meg John Barker. So mm. let's talk a bit more about um, where we're all at with the concept of gender now. What's the most yeah. up-to-date position? Well, I guess a really interesting one to dig into actually is uh, the thing you mentioned at the beginning about the division between sex and gender is mm-hmm. actually being troubled um, as we speak by scientists as well. So you were saying, you know, the conventional idea is definitely like sex is the biology like we're, that we're physically born and then gender is like how we identify. Um, and um, that's certainly quite a helpful way of seeing it. So certainly kids are assigned, like you said, generally male or female at birth, and that's based on the size of their genitals usually. And so there are something like one to 2% of people who are intersex um, and who are not, it's not so clear cut. So even even sex at that level of genitals is not binary. And if you, and if you think about chromosomes as well, yep. there are different chromosomes than the XX and the XY that we maybe associate with male and female. Similarly, people have very different um, levels of things like tos- testosterone and estrogen. Again, we often think, oh, testosterone, more testosterone in men, more estrogen in women. But again, it's more complicated than that. So across all of the biological levels, it's not binary either. Um, but then there's also this thing of, well, our gender affects our sex, like the things that happen to us in life and the way we express our gender and the experiences we have based on our gender, they map back on to our bodies and brains so like if we're brought up physically to do certain activities you know to do sports or rough and tumble our bodies are going to 
look different and they're gonna they're gonna um we're gonna have different build and different muscles and etc so the way we're treated on a on a physical level if we're assumed to be a boy or a girl will impact on how our body is and then what gender identities and expressions are available to us but also on our brains so people like cordelia fine and daphna joelle scientists are finding that the things we do in our lives you know, obviously they affect our brains. That's how we learn. So the same way you learn to ride a bicycle and that will be imprinted on your brain. So next time you get on a bike, you'll be able to do it. When we learn gender stereotypes or gender roles, it works in the same way. So we're literally, we're literally changing our bodies and brains all of the time. And if we grow up fairly in a fairly conventional gender, that what we're, what we're learning is to perform masculinity or femininity and that's being mapped onto our bodies and brains makes it easier and easier to do so it feels very natural um but for for others of us who are non-binary or trans you know we're doing different things that then shape our bodies and brains in different directions than the one maybe that was expected for us um and that affects you know hormonally as well again sorry van anders who we mentioned before found that you know I think she even said that um, there's more impact of our behaviors on our hormones than our hormones on our behaviors. So that was what I was wondering. Um, right? My understanding yeah. is is that is that actually the hormones are the things that we really impact in a very big way. Yeah. Exactly. So again, at every level, and then there's all this epigenetic stuff, you know, that it seems like the things that happen to us or the environments we're born into affect which genes get turned on and off. And, you know, we just don't know the extent of how that impacts in terms of sort of sex, gender stuff yet. So yeah, on every level of a human being, our environment, the situations we find ourselves in, the, the experiences we have and the things that we choose to do will be affecting our bodies and brains back. So we're constantly, if we think of sex as biological and gender as social, we're constantly impacting our sex as well. And, as so, then, and so then actually it probably ultimately is not helpful to make those sorts of divisions. In right. Yeah. So scientists now like Anne Fausto Sterling, for example, will use sex slash gender rather than yep. seeing those as two separate things because we could see it as sex affects gender and gender affects sex. And actually they're interwoven. I always use that word biopsychosocial. Yes. If you imagine the biology of our bodies and brains and then the psychological experiences that we have, you know, the things that happen in our families and um, as we grow into adults and then the social, which is all the cultural messages around us and the social structures, all those things just constantly interwoven in complicated ways, impacting each other in vastly complex feedback loops. And that's why it just doesn't make any sense to ask things like, is there a gay gene or are trans people, you know, biologically more like this gender or that you know those kind of questions are not i don't think particularly helpful because they just look at the level of biology when actually you know for all of us our sexualities and our genders are complicatedly biopsychosocial and they, they can't be otherwise which i mean to me that's fascinating and i don't know how the psychological side of research will change with taking this sort of stuff on board mm. um, i i think there's always this weird component of of morality that comes into to, to areas like this yeah. that becomes very difficult because it actually gets in the way of the questions we really do need to be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look at this where there are continual feedback loops, then you see that you can move yeah. throughout life on well, all these different levels. Because, yeah, like the social changes over time. You know, so think about how you know women express their gender now compared to the 1950s. We see how the, the social affects the psychological and then the biological because women will have very different experiences of their bodies. You know, and so all of these all these things are constantly changing. The kind of experiences we have change over time as well, depending on the generation we're in, but also our particular age. Like you said about menopause, has a massive effect on how people are treated by other people, and that has a massive effect on their experience of themselves, which also has a massive effect on their bodies and brains. You know, it's just constantly ever changing. And so much information isn't there as well. Yeah. And that's the other part for me of this. It's so fascinating is is that we don't. You know, for example, we, you, you said estrogen associated with females, testosterone associated with males. Yep, mm. I learned that. I didn't learn mm. that my body was produced. I knew I produced some testosterone, but I didn't right. learn where it came from. Yeah. Or how important it was. Yes. Yeah. Right? I yeah. had no clue until I looked at hysterectomy and was being told that um, I was go- also going to have my ovaries removed. Mm-hmm. 
So I was researching what I needed to know about that. Actually, I was looking about the the estrogen issues Mm. and how it would change HRT or not because I was pretty much through menopause. So how would it change that? And all this stuff came up about the loss of testosterone. Right. Which for people with ovaries who don't know, um, your ovaries will produce testosterone long after menopause. Yeah. Like. And up into your 80s. Mm. And this is one of the things I really say a lot um, in in the book, Alex and I wrote, How to Understand Your Gender, which is a good one for people who are looking for more on this, like how to dig into gender for themselves personally more. Um, But, you know, we're saying, well, actually, all this division between trans and cis is also a, a false binary because, you know, for example, a lot of people go on hormones a lot of you know a lot of people go on testosterone so men who are low in testosterone or cisgender men who are low in testosterone cisgender women as you say who may be post menopause or have their ovaries removed also trans men and also non-binary people some go on testosterone of different amounts so you know this thing about focusing on trans people and saying oh they go on hormones but you know we really shouldn't be providing hormones on the national health service or the private health care you know it's it's like no there's lots of people who go on hormones for all kinds of reasons similar there's lots of people who have surgeries relating to gender for all kinds of reasons i had a really good friend who's a cisgender woman who had a breast significant breast reduction because it was part of migraines for her but also she was sick of people sexualizing her um she didn't feel like that was her kind of femininity um and i've had chest surgery of a very similar kind but that was to do with being masculine and like you know we had this really interesting conversation and i think that would be a lot more interesting is to say that so many of us go through shifts and changes in relation to our gender over time and we can make choices about how to change our bodies over time if that feels more congruent and comfortable for us and instead of freaking out about trans people we could just see that as um, a part of life for so many people yeah and 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 actually look at making information and things available i mean i know we talked about it Mm. testosterone for women in this country who are not trans is a problem yeah it's it's a huge issue and i could not get testosterone on the nhs Mm. i have to pay for testosterone yeah why yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's really good. You know, I think you and I can both vouch for testosterone. It's a nice I know, I, nice wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's so interesting yeah. that that's that that an issue is made of that. That it's somehow acceptable if you're trans it, people bitch about the fact that it's mm-hmm. available on the NHS, but it's acceptable on the NHS. Mm-hmm. But if you're having it for another reason and your body was female yeah and you're staying female there's an issue exactly and again it's like you're 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 asking for something um and and the reasons they give you fascinating like Mm -hmm. we don't exactly know what it does yet well of course you do because you're giving it to people who are trans yeah exactly you must know what kind of an impact it makes this, I mean, you know, there's not the really long-term studies yet, but it seems to be, you know, and you can people can make an informed consent decision. It's going to help with some things. It's going to hinder others. Um, but again, there's ageism and misogyny in there that we just don't, you know, we don't know enough about menopause and we don't give enough help to people going through it in general. I, I mean, I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. And I didn't even realize that there was a discrimination in that area until yeah. I found myself in need of this mm-hmm. and went to my GP and said, okay, so you got can you guys prescribe? The gynecologist says, can you prescribe? And they said, no, we won't prescribe. Wow. Yeah. We're about one minute from break. Um, and the last, in the last and final segment, I don't know, I'm going to leave you with the choice. Hey, John, what do you want to bring up? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. We'll continue this discussion. This is fascinating. So we'll see you all back in about two and a half minutes. Get your questions in. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to 
Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. Are you ready for your erotic journey? Join host Lexi Silver every week for SDC's Seek, Discover, Create, the radio show. Whether you're new at this journey or well-traveled on the sexual road, we'll help you find your way with guest experts and hot topics about sex, relationships, and your health. You can also connect with the communities of SDC.com for even more advice and discussion. Listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Are you ready for Clint Whispering Healthy Talk? Tune in to the Get Mine Healthy Pleasure Radio Show. Founded and hosted by Dr. Moffay, Peraza Godoy, and Dominique Karetsis, this program will answer all of your burning questions in a frank, casual, and uncensored manner. We'll tell you what we know and improve what you know. Turn the lights down, grab a hot cup of whatever, and join us every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time for the Get Mine Healthy Pleasure Radio Show on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Welcome back, everybody, to our final segment of G is for Gender and All Things Non-Binary with Dr. Meg John Barker. We're going to spend this last segment talking about how we deal with the non-binary people in our lives. And let's start out by talking about pronouns. Yes. (laughs) I mean, non-binary people get a bit bored of talking about pronouns, but I thought it'd be really helpful to anyone who's less familiar. to to definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess as we're saying that there's various different options that people choose in terms of pronouns if they're non-binary, but it's about moving away from usually from he and she. Um, and probably the most common is they pronouns um, in the English language because we're lucky because we do have a singular pronoun, which is gender neutral, mm-hmm. um, which is they. But a lot of people get a problem with it because they think it's plural. Um, and, of course, it can be either. So if we, we might say oh, um, that person left their handbag on the bench. I hope they come back for it. I hope they don't, they, I hope they realize they forgot it. And when we say something like that, you know, it's we singular person, um, but we're still using they. So it's perfectly grammatically correct to use they in a singular sense. But we t- we've tended to use it in the past when we don't know somebody's gender. Um, and now non-binary people are claiming it as a, as a useful pronoun for when we do know somebody's gender and their gender is non-binary. Um, but some people prefer other pronouns as well, like Z is another one. So a, a few people have said, well, maybe it'd be easier for people to get their heads around a whole new pronoun. I think a lot of the linguists that I've heard talk about this suggest that learning to use the they pronoun is a little bit easier than learning to use a brand new pronoun um, for people because they are used to using it. Um, and I would suggest that people just practice. I often suggest people practice on animals um, because often we don't know. <laughs> well, we certainly don't know their genders. We, we may know their sexes, but even that might not be accurate, you know, from what we were talking about before. So you could practice talking about your cat using they pronouns or a random, you know, bird that you see on the street. And then at least you get some practice using they pronouns if you don't know non-binary people. That's actually really helpful. Um, mm. And I think people need to understand that being misgendered repeatedly is really painful yeah i think um i think of it as like mirroring you know we know how important for mental health it is that people mirror us accurately um so Mm -hmm. our experience of ourselves is mirrored the way people treat us um and so yeah misgendering is is a form of really not mirroring somebody and so it really grinds you down after a while you know if it's happening day after day and of course because the world is so binary it kind of does happen every day I really noticed this I'd always been out about being bisexual and I assumed when I came out about being non-binary would be kind of similar um, but it's not because your bisexuality whilst it is invisible and there are a lot of mental health issues with regarding the invisibility of bisexuality it's just not pertinent in an everyday way in the same way somebody's gender is because we gender everything so yeah. you're having to make a decision about which toilet door to use or you're constantly being served or maddened um, and that just you know means that you are getting this kind of gradual um, just erosion of misgendering which is really hard so yeah if people can move to gender neutral terminology that's awesome and that in writing as well folks right mm-hmm. you know if you're blogging and things like that and I think 
you know, it can be more difficult sometimes Mm. doing that, but really, really paying attention to this because of the damage it does to people when you don't mirror their own experience. It, it, I can't actually can't underscore that enough. Yeah. Um, And if we're moving away from making assumptions about people as well. Yeah. um, If I don't know, I'm going to use they. Because yeah. I don't know. And then if somebody, if I, if they is not correct, somebody will correct me. I guarantee it. Yeah, precisely. But it's good to think about areas in your life where maybe you're, um, you know, you're not mirrored accurately or where people make a point of sort of, you know, when I, when I do workshops on this again, people talk about, you know, what it's like being single whenever, when it's always assumed that people are in couples or what it's like having an invisibility, invisible disability, yes. um, you know, and, and those are kind of similar ones where you're off, people often think it's okay to ask a load of questions and they also also often invisibilize you um, or just don't mirror you accurately. So, you know, dig into what yours are and how painful that is uh, when people don't recognize that important aspect of you that that's really valuable to you. And that, that's what it's like in terms of gender. So have a, I guess it's having a bit of compassion to, to make that imaginative leap that that's the same thing. Yep. And, 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 and on that, it isn't appropriate to ask really personal questions of somebody yes. you don't know unless they have offered you the opportunity to do so by telling you yep. that they're happy if you ask them questions. Yeah. So, exactly. um, they, if you wouldn't generally go up to a person and ask about their genitals just because they say they're trans or non-binary. It's not, yeah. probing, uh-huh. you know, or probing about, you know, when did you, when did you come out or what things have you done about it? It's like, you know, no, it's, they're not your educational moment. Just as, just as, you know, person of color, it's not, they're not your race educational moment and a person with a disability, it's not your, you know, it's like, just, just don't do it. I find it amazing though, how often people do. Um, if they find out any any area of difference, yeah. I actually found it easier being um, being in Vietnam and having my hair grabbed and pulled and my skin rubbed because mm. that was really direct. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like a, a woman tried to rub my freckles off my face. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was really direct. I understood yeah. exactly what was going on. She didn't have the language. To yeah. have the conversation. It was pr- incredibly intrusive, but I'd been warned, so I right. didn't freak out. Yeah, it's often the indirect stuff that's harder. Uh, you know, you just see that somebody's looking at you funny, or you know, somebody just acts really awkward. And I think people do get really awkward because they're worried about getting things wrong. But it's okay to get things wrong and to check. I re- I realized like at the beginning of the show, actually, I called you Laurie, and then I'm thinking, do you you know do you always use Laurie Beth as a double barreled, or do you sometimes use Laurie? Maybe I, I, use, I use both. Right. But, you know, there, I'm checking. Yeah. That was fine. I feel okay. You feel okay. You know, that's the same in reverse. You may say to me, oh, Meg John, that's with a hyphen. Do you always want me to say Meg John or would it be okay to say Meg sometimes? And I would say, no, I I really like the double barrel or you can use MJ for short, but Meg doesn't feel right because that's just like, you know, one part of my gender and the reason yeah. I like Meg John is it's got both in, you know. So, like, it's just fine to have that and then move on. The problem is when it's this kind, it becomes this kind of interrogation because the person feels so awkward that they feel like they have, or they have to over-apologize, you know, oh, yeah. God, I'm terribly sorry. I can't believe I hurt you so much. And then you end up looking after them and you're like, no, hang on a minute. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it should be easy. Just think about it. You're in a foreign country. That's, yeah. That, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, check uh, it out. Check you're it in out. a foreign country, check it out. Yeah. You, you know, in most foreign countries, if you try and speak their language, people are happy that you tried. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, if, yeah, if people correct from an incorrect pronoun to a correct to the they pronoun for me, that feels fine. That actually feels really good. I feel quite affirmed by that. It's when people don't bother, you know, they just decided this is too complicated or I don't or even I don't even believe in this you know which you sometimes get still um yeah that feels hurtful I don't believe in this oh yeah Yeah. like yeah there's still there's still this debate you know you shouldn't be debating people's existence that's that's another thing there is still a debate about whether non-binary people exist well here I am and there are many more like me like end of story the debate is over (laughs) I find stuff like that so enraging that people people really feel that they can can decide yeah if you if if a person's existence and experience is valid yeah as though they're they're what Mm. experts on what right yeah 
exactly um and it's it's really interesting that um the government recently did a survey in the uk on lgbt people and found that seven thousand non-binary people responded to the survey which was actually more than trans men and trans women put together so there are a lot of people identifying as non-binary and then daphna joel who i mentioned earlier did some research um where instead of asking whether on people's identity, like you were talking about at the beginning of the show, um, she asked them how they experienced themselves. And she said, you know, do you ever experience yourself to some extent as the other gender or both genders or neither gender? And a third, over a third of people said, yeah, to some extent that happens to me. So if we go on experience rather than identity, we could be looking at a third of people, at least who have some kind of non-binary or trans experience. That's not surprising to me um, because that's also around things like sexuality. If you don't make people, if you don't make people choose a side, yeah, and you ask the question in that way, we I think we've also found that people will it's identify surprising. with both. I'm yeah. attracted to um, male, female, trans, yeah, both. Young, young people, particularly, if you put it on a spectrum like the Kinsey scale, it's like over 40%, I think, will say they're somewhere between exclusively heterosexual and exclusively homosexual. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just a lot of people. It's much more, like we said, much more fluid, much less fixed, um, much less stuck in a binary box. Brilliant. And we really need to be looking at this as an example in terms of how we're thinking mm-hmm. um, and and looking at the fact that there are loads of areas in our lives where we've been forced to divide things into binary where actually there's a spectrum yeah a whole host of other possibilities there's a million shades of gray and colors in there that we could be taking advantage of if we stop Mm. thinking either or yeah absolutely so if you would like to find meg john barker rewriting the rules.com and you will have this um in the notes, one of these days I'm going to get all the notes in the place where they're supposed to be. <laughs> However, it's https colon forward slash forward slash rewriting dash the dash rules dot com. This is a great website because it does have all of their books mm-hmm. as well as links to blogs, podcasts, and all the things that you will find interesting. And I highly um, recommend you exploring it because there's a whole bunch of great stuff there. I want to thank you all for listening today. If you've got more questions that we couldn't get to, please do email. We'll answer next week if we can. If you've got an idea for this show, please do send it in. Is there somebody that you want me to have on? Let me know. If you're interested in learning more about dominance and submission, the DS and the BDSM dynamic, learning more about power and authority exchange, and if you're in the London area on Saturday, there are still tickets left to the workshop that I'm teaching email me and I will send you the link to get tickets. Thanks again. Next week, join me for H is for sexual history and censorship Mm -hmm. with Bosch. I look forward to all of you then. Have a great week.